All right, let's uh, conclude our Hebrews study. We could preach from Hebrews for, for months and months, but we've just taken kind of the, the mountaintops for you this morning. Let me start with a, just a little personal reflection. I, I grew up in church, as you know, and having grown up in church under strong Bible uh, teachers, great preaching, great teaching, I learned sound theology at, at a very early young age. So I, as I look back on my life, I'm not not saying this in a bragging way, but I just feel like I've had solid, a solid belief structure, a solid belief system all my life. I mean, as you look back, and I, I see a few, a few heads nodding this morning. You understand what I'm saying? You grew up in Sunday school. You've been taught Bible all your life. You've had a pretty solid uh, belief structure uh, for most of your life. Now, some of you may not be true. You may be just building that solid belief structure right now. But my issue is I had solid beliefs, but my actions have not always validated my beliefs. As I look back and see my beliefs were good, so my actions that weren't so good. My actions haven't always said the same thing that I professed to believe. Sometimes my actions have been contrary to what I say I believe. It's that simple enough. So we sometimes slip into thinking that uh, when it comes to matters of religion, when it comes to matters of faith, that God is concerned with what we believe more than what we do. When we talk about church and theology and Bible and religion, we we think God's very concerned with what we believe. I'm going to challenge that this morning. I want to challenge you this morning that God is concerned with what you believe, but your actions are what validates what you really believe. If you say, I believe something, but your actions are contrary to that, do you really believe it? Does that make sense? So when we talk about faith, faith's not just a a system of beliefs. Faith has actions that go with it. And what we want to discover this morning is what role uh, do our actions and our attitudes have in, in, in validating our faith. Let me ask it like this as an assessment question to start this morning. When others observe my actions and my attitudes, can they, would they conclude that I'm a Christian? If I never told anybody what I believed, and my peers, my co-workers, my neighbors, etc., my classmates just looked at my life and saw my attitudes, saw my actions, would they be able to conclude just from attitudes and actions that I'm a follower of Jesus Christ, or would I have to say at some point, hey, forget what you see me do, forget the, my grumpy, and forget, forget my bad attitudes, you see, I want to profess to you that I'm a believer in Jesus Christ. Does that make sense? Are we, do we have to say it out loud, or do our attitudes and our actions convince people already that we are followers of Christ? Now, we all know that the Bible tells us the just shall live by faith. It's one of Martin Luther's great themes that he preached over and over. It's found in the Old Testament and the New Testament. And we, we know that the Bible tells us to live by faith. But here's my big opening for you this morning. What is faith? Do we, do we really have a grasp of what faith is? So we have two chapters now coming, Hebrews 11 and 12, that I'm going to summarize this morning. Hebrews chapter 11 is about just one topic, and that is the topic of faith. Let me read you the opening verse, Hebrews 11, 
verse number one, to answer the question, what is faith? You ready? Now faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. In the Greek, uh, the word that the Holy Spirit used is the Greek word pistis. It describes a person who is devoted, trustworthy, reliable, dedicated, constant, unwavering. This is in contrast to our fleshly desires, our natural state of living, which is, seeks to be lazy, uncommitted, unreliable, uh, undependable. I mean, just naturally, we don't want to get out of bed, brush our teeth, shave our face. You know what I'm saying? Go to work tomorrow, go to school tomorrow. But just naturally, uh, we don't want to be committed and, and bound to something and be accountable. That's just naturally the way the natural man is. Faith is something quite the opposite of that. It describes reliability and commitment and trustworthiness and devotion and consistency. Now, when you think about this, this unwavering stability, this reliable behavior is the actual character of God Himself. Do you remember how the Bible describes God? He changes not. God the same yesterday, today, and forever. He, he is unchangeableness reliable consistency faithful great is thy faithfulness O god my father there is no shadow of turning with the faithfulness reliability dependability always there never wavers it's the very character of god and when we allow the holy spirit of god to freely take control of our lives he then transforms our lives to be like him he makes us the holy spirit makes us dependable reliable committed, steadfast, trustworthy. Let me say it in a way that maybe you can remember this week. Give the Spirit control and your faith will grow. You give the Holy Spirit control of your life. You get up in the morning and say, God, today I want to yield myself. Holy Spirit of God, just yield myself to your, to your control today. You control me. You make me like a God. You make me today committed, reliable, dependable, steadfast. Make me like like you are God. You yield control to the Holy Spirit. And the more you yield control to the Holy Spirit, the more faith will grow in you. Now, when we say faith, we tend to think of a belief structure. I want to I kind of dismantle that a little bit. Because faith involves the mind, the emotions, and the will. Let, let me see if I can break that down for you. Our minds first have to embrace the message of the gospel. In other words, we have to hear about Jesus Christ, and then our minds accept the message that Jesus Christ is the Son of God who lived a perfect life, and He offered up Himself on the cross, was buried, and He rose again. Your mind has to accept that. Has your mind accepted that? That's the first step. You say, I hear it, okay, I agree with it, I accept that. Then the emotions kick in, and the emotions feel the guilt of sin. I assume you've all felt that. Guilt's a powerful thing, it's a good thing. can be a bad thing, but it can also be a good thing. And uh, you felt the, the, the conviction, let's use that word, of sin. Uh, or, or you felt strong emotions, which cause convictions, which leads you to take a course of action. And then the third part is your will. 
Now you have to decide. I, 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 I've, I've comprehended something in the mind. I feel something in my, in my emotions that I'm compelled to take some action. And, and now there's one more piece. You have to decide to do it. The will. The will. You in control. You have to say, I'm going to respond with a personal commitment to, to Christ. I'm going to respond with a, a complete acceptance of Jesus Christ as the only hope for my forgiveness and for my salvation. What, what I'm saying is faith is more than believing. Faith is believing in such a powerful way that it causes you to do something. It's more than just, yeah, I believe there's a God. Listen, if you believe there's a God, then what are you compelled to do? Receive Jesus Christ as your Savior. You see what I'm saying? I'm, I, I believe there, God wants, I believe there's a God. So now what are you going to do about it now that's just the beginning step of salvation and a whole life of faith that's like that you believe the bible okay well then how are you acting out that in your daily life does that cause you to worship hebrews chapter 10 don't forsake the assembling of yourself together does it cause you to to give you're saying because the bible says to give does it cause you to pray because the bible says to pray does it cause you to worship because the bible says to worship in other words if you really believe it leads you, it compels you to act in a certain way. One of the things I would really want to get in your heart is faith is not just a belief word. Faith is an action word. Faith is an action word. When you say, I believe or I have faith, now what? There will always be a now what to that. There will always be a so therefore I do something. I have faith so therefore here's the action I take. James said, you guys are talking about what you believe. He said, I will show you my faith by my actions, by my works. James was such a believer in this. Now, God knows that you and I do much better with real-life stories than with concepts. Concepts are tough on us. We need a picture. We need an example, a real life story. So God wrote an entire chapter in the Bible, Hebrews chapter number 11, that is really nothing but one life story just kind of encapsulated in a few sentences. One life story after another, one stacked on another. If you read it this week in preparation for the message, you're way ahead. If not, read it this coming week and it'll all come back alive to you. Let's talk about Hebrews 11 and what living in faith looks like. Let's talk about living in faith. Now, first of all, let's talk about where you live. Because where you live is determinative of where your kids are going to go to school. Is there anybody in here who chose the house you bought just because of the school district your kids would go to? Yeah. And if you're, when, when our boys were in school, we, we picked this neighborhood because we wanted them to go to a certain school. When we picked the, the house we're in right now, we picked that neighborhood because we wanted Jack to finish up at a specific school. Uh, where you live, your address is determinative of where your kids will, will go to school. It's also determinative, typically, of where you will worship. 99% of this congregation worship fairly near where you live. It's determinative of, yeah, I see a few oddballs in the room who drive long distances, and we're thankful for you. <clears throat> but typically, where you live is determinative of where you're going to worship. Where you live is fairly determinative about where you're going to work. People don't tend to buy homes that are way, way, way far away from where they work. They typically want to live somewhere in a reasonable commute 
to the place that they're going to spend 40 hours a week or more uh, in their career. So what I'm saying is where you live is determinative of certain things. Determines where your kid's going to school, who your neighbor's going to be, where you're going to worship, and where you're going to work. All of these things are connected together in our lives. Now, you don't have to be a realtor to know the most important rule of real estate. Location? Location. Location, location, and location. Now, those are the three rules of real estate because... Property in the best areas will always command the premium price. Property in the best areas and the most desirable areas will always demand to have the highest demand. Uh, Properties in in the area in which most of you are living right here, uh, when it goes on the market, you'll have ten offers before the sun goes down. Typically, uh, you'll get an offer above your asking price, typically in this uh, zip code right here. Because there is demand, people want their kids in these schools, people want to live in this area, there's restaurants, there's shops, there's churches, there's good schools, uh, uh, unfortunately there's not great roads yet, but maybe they'll be here one day, and, uh, but uh, uh, location, location, location. Now with that in mind, let's read on, Hebrews 11, verse 6, but without faith, it is impossible to please Him, God. Without faith, it's impossible to please God. For he who comes to God, you and I coming to God, must believe that he is. Do you believe he is? That he exists? And you must believe that he is a rewarder of those who diligently seek him. Now, you need to get out of your mind that God is angry and hateful and vindictive and get into your mind what the Bible teaches, that God loves you and wants to pour blessings and rewards out on you for following him in faith. Let's get, let's get back to a biblical view of God that says He's not angry. He's quite loving and kind. And those who seek Him, He loves to reward them. Okay, I, I like a God like that, don't you? I, I, I worship a God like that. Now, let's look at the first part of the verse. But without faith. But without faith. I want you to lock on to that word without. Our English word without comes from the Greek word korise. Now, here's why you care. Korise means to be outside of something, such as someone who lives outside of the city. It contrasts between being on the inside versus being on the the outside. It's like, are you inside the yard or outside the yard? Are they inside the car or outside the car? Are you inside the church or outside the church? Korise, but without faith, on the outside of. Just like you'd be outside the city limits. Some people are living outside of faith. Corise depicts outside of, not inside of. Now because the Holy Spirit chose to use this word to describe our faith, connect to our faith, God's letting us know that you have a choice this morning. You can choose to live at faith's address or not at faith's address. You can live inside of faith or outside of faith. Listen to what I'm saying to you. Faith is a real place with an address, with boundaries. And what determines whether you're living inside of faith or outside of faith is your obedience to the assignment that God has given you. 
Well, how do I know if I'm living inside of faith or outside of faith? Well, here's what we do know. Can you guys put this verse back up for me again? Hebrews 11:6. Here's what we do know. We know without faith, it's impossible to please God. That's what we do know. When you live outside of faith, if you're not living at faith's address, then you're not going to be able to please God. Can we all agree on that? You say, but I believe certain things. Well, God doesn't care, quite frankly. He cares what you do with those beliefs. Now, just stay with me. Because if you're not living in faith, if you're living outside of faith, you can't please God. No matter how you try, no matter what you believe, no matter religious you appear, without faith, it's impossible to please God. Well, how do I know if I'm living inside of faith or outside of faith? Well, let's just ask ourselves a few questions this morning. Let me just stack these on the screen for you. Am I doing what God told me to do? Doing. Not believing. Am I doing what God told me to do? Am I fulfilling the assignment He gave me for my life? Am I living in obedience to the Word of God? Am I, am I faithful to the mission that Jesus has asked me to execute? Now, as you look at those questions, the answers to those questions will tell you whether you're living at faith's address or not. Are you, if you can say, yes, I'm on the mission, yes, I'm, I'm where God wants me, yes, I'm doing what God wants me to be, all right, then you are the place where you are confident that God wants you to live, the place where you are called to use your gifts and get on His mission, that's faith's address for you. And the entire 11th chapter of Hebrews is about men and women like you, who had a very clear direction and clear understanding of what God's mission was for them in their generation. And and although it was difficult, because the Bible tells you some of the difficulties they faced, although it was difficult, they held true to their mission. Remember these words now. They were reliable and unwavering and constant and consistent and committed to the mission. And they lived their lives... In faith. They lived their lives inside of faith. They lived their lives at faith's address. And when you live in faith, that pleases God. And that got these people a big commendation from God and a big reward from God and a whole chapter talking about their greatness because they lived lives in faith. Notice also in the verse. Let's go back to the verse again. Throw it back up here again. He is a rewarder of those who diligently seek Him. Diligently is not casually. Diligently is steadfastly. Diligently isn't, well, I I went to church on Christmas and Easter. Well, I read my Bible every once in a while. Well, I prayed when I got sick. Uh, uh, You know, I, I asked God for help when I got into trouble. That's not diligently seeking. Diligently means you stay focused. You concentrate. You stay committed. You refuse to let the devil sidetrack you and move you outside of faith's address where God wants you to be living. See, Satan's going to try to push you out of faith. He'll try to get you out of the place where God wants you to be living in. So let me give you some examples of faith very quickly. Because this is what Hebrews chapter 11 is really about. Remember that faith is not simply believing. Faith is an action word. 
So when you read Hebrews 11, it might even be a great exercise for you this week in your Bible reading. Take a, 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 some kind of underliner, some kind of a pen, and as you read chapter 11, every time you see by faith, then underline the action that they took. Because there's an action associated with every time it says they did something by faith. By faith they, and you can find out what action they took that supported, that evidenced their faith. Now it categorizes it kind of like a history book. And so the first thing you see is faith at the dawn of history. It's Hebrews 11.4. By faith, here's the word you would underline, by faith... A man named Abel did something. What did he do? He offered. He offered. He gave an offering. By faith, Abel offered to God a more excellent sacrifice than Cain. So the action that Abel took that got his name listed in the Heroes Hall of Fame for faith, the the, the action he took is he gave an offering. Matter of fact, he gave the right offering. Uh, God said, I want you to bring a lamb, uh, a male lamb, a spotless lamb, and I want you to offer it. And I don't want to tell the whole story, but his brother uh, was a farmer, and his brother said, listen, I, I, I don't do, I, I'm not a rancher like my brother, uh, I'm not a shepherd like my brother, I have a farm, and I raise vegetables, and my vegetables are as valuable as his lamb. And so the brother brought his vegetables, and God said, wait a second, I didn't ask for vegetables, I asked for a lamb. Cain, sin lies at the door. Stop. You can ask your brother for a lamb. You can trade him that zucchini for a lamb. You can trade him. You can get a lamb. A lamb's within. You can, it's not like you can't get a lamb. Offer what I ask you to offer. Well, you, you know that whole story. But Abel offered the right offering. And Abel was accepted before God. And because he was accepted by offering by faith, you say, well, it sounds silly that God would ask us to do something like that. Yes, but God asked you, so why not just do it? See, that's the deal. Just, God, just let God be God, and we'll relinquish control of trying to be God ourselves. And when God asks, we just do it by faith, trusting that, that God knows what He's doing. And when He asks us to do something, then we'll just follow through with that. Look, look at our next uh, example, verse 7. By faith, Noah. Does anybody know what Noah did by faith without reading the verse? Do what? He built something, didn't he? Well, let's read it and see if that's true. By faith, Noah, being divinely warned of things not yet seen, moved with godly fear, and prepared an ark. You're right. For the saving of his household, by which he condemned the world and became heir of righteousness, which is according to faith. So, by faith, Noah, what action did he take? Well, he went to Home Depot and bought a Makita. And DeWalt table saw in a semi-full of lumber. And he had it delivered out to his property, and he built some sawhorses, and the man got to work. And when people drove by and said, what in the world are you doing? He said, I'm building an ark. I'm building a boat. And they're like, you're a crackpot. Yes, but God told me to, and it doesn't have to make sense. I just have to do it. Now, do you see how faith, God said, do it. He said, I believe you, God. Okay, so if you believe, what action will you take? Well, you'll go buy a Makita and a DeWalt and get the extension cord and buy some lumber and start building something. Now, do you understand how faith moved these people to action? Was Noah vindicated in the end? 
Yeah, everybody wanted in that boat when the rain started falling. That's what I'm talking about. And so, you know, what Noah did is he built an ark and he started prepping food. And people thought he was crazy, but he wasn't crazy. He was acting out his beliefs, his faith. The next person that's listed in this chapter, it's in verses 8 through 12, talks about Abraham. It's the faith of Abraham and the patriarchs. These are Isaac, Jacob, and Joseph. There's his sons. What, what was the faith of, of Abraham? Well, God asked Abraham to leave his family, travel to an unfamiliar place where he would then receive a blessing and he would become a blessing and God would take him and multiply him into a, this massive nation of people. He said, your children be like the sand of the sea and like the stars of heaven. So what did Abraham do by faith when God said, step out? Well, he called U-Haul, and he said, I'm going to need a truck. And he started packing things up. This is what we read in the book of Genesis. And he packed up all of his stuff, and they got on down the road, and he went to a place that he had never been before. By faith, because he believed God, he took the actions that, that were required, and he got boxes, and he got packing tape, and he got some Sharpies, and he packed all of his stuff, and, and they loaded up in the moving truck, and they said, where are you going? He said, I don't know, we're going to follow God and see where he leads us. And wherever God led him, he, God said, I'm going to give you. So, what was his action of faith? God said, you're going to have a son being a hundred years old. So, you know what his act of faith was? They started trying Start trying. You know what I'm saying? And guess what happened? Now, what was his action of faith? God said, I want you to now offer that son up as a sacrifice on the altar. So he took a cord and he bound his son to the altar. And he took the knife and raised it. And he covered his son's eyes. And the angel of the Lord grabbed his hand and said, do your son no harm. You have not withheld him from... Those were the actions of faith. You say, God, it sounds crazy that you'd give me a promised child and then ask me to sacrifice my child. It sounds crazy, but faith says I must act on my belief. So I'll act, and God says, okay, do your son no harm. Now let me just... I'm summarizing as quick as I can. The next person mentioned is Moses, verse 23, down through about 30, 29 or 30. What, what did Moses do? Well, basically this. Moses was raised as the prince and soon-to-be heir of the nation of Egypt. Okay? And when Moses came of age, Moses rejected everything that Americans are pursuing. Everything we're trying to get was laid into the lap of Moses. And Moses rejected the American dream. He rejected privilege, wealth, popularity, comfort, and instead chose to follow God's mission for his life. And it meant he associated with the Hebrews, and it meant he became an outcast, but then God raised him up to be a great leader. The next person that's talked about in verse 30 and onward, Joshua, Judges, and the prophets. And it tells, by faith they did. Do you know what Joshua did by faith? He marched silently six times around the walls of Jericho without saying boo. 
And on the seventh day, seven times, and then they shouted and they praised God and they blew trumpets. And if you've read the Word of God in the historical record, the walls of Jericho came down. What did the prophets do? Well, gosh, I don't have time, but Elijah prayed and it stopped raining. Elijah prayed again and it started raining. Elisha blinded the eyes of one army. Then Elisha opened the eyes of his disciple to the army of God that was encamped all around them, defending them from, from, from man's army. They raised, uh, both Elijah and Elisha raised children from the dead in the Old Testament. These are not just stories. The, the, these are real people. God wants you to know that these are real people who live by faith and they won the race of faith and they won God's praise because there are times when you and I are going to wonder as we go through our lives, does anyone understand me at all? Does anyone understand what I'm going through? Does anybody get me? We, we sometimes think, hey, I'm out here all alone. There's no one, there's no one that really understands what my life is like. So in the opening of chapter 12 now, see how fast chapter 11 went? In the opening of chapter 12, God tells us emphatically, everyone's cheering for you. Now this is what chapter 12 is about. Everyone's cheering for you. Let, let, let's read Hebrews 12.1. Let me put it up this way. Here's the, the older wording. Therefore, we also, since we are surrounded... By so great a cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight and the sin which does so easily ensnare us and run with endurance the race set before us. Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us throw off everything that hinders. Therefore, being surrounded by a great cloud of witnesses, let us also lay aside every weight and the sin which clings so closely. Here's the paraphrase. Since we are surrounded by so many examples of faith we must get rid of everything that slows us down now let's just leave that up for a minute let's let, let's just think about what's here what what god's trying to communicate to you is that we are not alone in our walk of faith the holy spirit is saying to us we are surrounded we are surrounded we are surrounded we are surround do you see those words God's trying to say to you, you are surrounded with supporters. You are surrounded with examples. You are surrounded with cheerleaders. The, the Greek word for surrounded, it, it's, a, it's a compound word made of these two. Peri, which means to encircle, like perimeter. It's where you get your word perimeter, to encircle something. And kimahi, which means to, to, to lie down, to, to place to place things down around when you compound those two words together it means lying all around you piled high on every side all the way around you uh, all of the modern translations have retained this word surrounded by a great cloud surrounded by a great cloud surrounded by a great cloud the word cloud is from the Greek word nephos. It means a cloud, but not just thunder and lightning cloud. In the first century, it was kind of a, it was, it, it, it was it, colloquialism. It was slang. 
uh, it meant the cheap seats. It meant the nosebleeds in the stadium. Now, I, I don't know if you've ever been to an Aggie football game, but if you've ever sat up, they got some, they, the highest bleachers I've ever sat in are, are at College Station. And a friend of ours gave us tickets way up on that end zone back row. Man, you get lightheaded sitting up there. You have vertigo looking down on the field. The seats are so high up in the air. When you understand what God wants you to do and, and the direction you need to take for school, for life, for business, for family, for ministry, for discipleship, you need to know that when you've made that decision to follow God, your decision has placed you in, in the contest of faith. You're now on the field. This morning, you're now on the field. You say, does anybody get me? Yes, you're on the field and all the eyes are on you. Your fight of faith, your race of faith is on right now. This is your time. If you get scared or you get nervous or you get discouraged, what, what the writer of Scripture is saying is look up. Look around you. You are perimeter surrounded, going all the way up to the cheap seats in the clouds, piled high on every side. You know, the bleachers of heaven go up and up to the clouds, and you are surrounded by godly examples and by witnesses who have already run the race that you're running right now. Not only have they run it, they run it successfully. They, they've run it and they've won. They've They've run the race that you're now running of faith, and they ran it so well that God commended them and said, by faith they did this, and by faith they did this. These are the heroes of faith that are sitting in the bleachers all around you. Up there in the bleachers right now are probably your parents and grandparents. If you're getting older, they're cheering for you. Up there in the bleachers, now it's our time to be on the field. Now is our time. This is our contest of faith. Now's our time to live in faith for the Lord. And we're surrounded with the people who've already done it. That means the founders of our great nation are up there cheering for you. That means the reformers of Europe and the martyrs of Europe are in the bleachers right now cheering for you. Imagine Martin Luther and John Calvin and Knox and Huss and Zwingli. Imagine them cheering for you this week. As you run your race of faith. Imagine your great-grandparents in the bleachers cheering for you as you live out your faith this week. That's what he's saying. Don't, don't think you're alone. Oh no, there, there are, everyone is cheering for you. Somewhere up in those bleachers, the original disciples are up there in those bleachers. And they're saying, live, li, live out your faith. Do it just the way that all of us in the bleachers have done it. Love people, build relationships, invest your life in something eternal, stay faithful to the mission. You've got this. Don't quit. Stay steadfast. Be reliable. Be consistent. Just as you're taking your personal steps of obedience now, the bleachers of heaven are filled to the top with people who've already faced the enemy and they've already won their fight of faith. They faced the impossible. And they accomplished the unthinkable. And they are proof that you can win too. You say, well, I just don't know if I can do it. Look up. Here's all the people who've already done it. 
They've already won. And they may have had more difficult circumstances than you have at the hour you're running your race. You say, well, I can't hear them. Then open your ears of faith and listen to the cheers as they're cheering you to victory. Open your eyes of faith and see that you are surrounded with people who are cheering for you to be successful in your walk of faith. Listen, you have an awesome staff of men and women who are successfully living out their faith as examples and coaches to this congregation. You're not alone. Hear what I'm saying. You have incredible people leading discipleship groups who are living out their faith in front of a small group of people every week. You're, you're not alone. They're there with, with you in the contest, in the race that you're running. You, you have your peers in your small group. They're living out their faith side by side with you every week. You absolutely are not alone. We will not let you fail. Don't let Satan discourage you. Don't give up. Stay focused. Stay faithful. Stay on mission. Because the devil is going to tell you, you're all alone. No one gets you. No one has it as bad as you. You you have it. Oh, you're unique. You're special. No one gets you. That's the kind of junk that Satan constantly whispers in our heads to get us off track. It's not true. We do get you. We've walked where you walk. Look at the bleachers. They go all the way up to the clouds, higher than you can imagine, filled with millions of people who are cheering for you. You're surrounded by people of faith. This morning, let me ask you some serious questions. What keeps you from living out the life of faith? What is hindering you this morning? from living out a life of obedience to God. Notice, therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us lay something down. Notice all these verses say, lay aside every weight, throw off everything that hinders, lay aside every weight and the sin which clings to us. We must get rid of everything that slows us down, especially sin. We we must get rid of everything that slows us down, especially the sins that are distracting us. I'm sure you you played sports. You don't run a race carrying weights in your hands. You, you You don't play football with a backpack on your back. You don't play basketball, you know, carrying your gym bag and trying to dribble and do a layup at the same time. And so the Bible says, listen, we're in a contest and there are some things we need to set aside. It could be a habit, it could be a sin, it could be an attitude, it could be fear. Just fear. Fears that keep us from running the race of faith. And if you already know this morning what it is you need to set aside, God's saying, do it, lay it down, let go of it. Don't just lay it down where you can pick it up again. Lay it down, let go, and push it far set aside. Push it far aside where it's not easy to pick up again. Does that make sense? Don't just set it down where you can grab it on the way out the door here. Set it down and let's kick it it out the door. Let's push it far away from us where we can't take it up again. What, What I want you to see is it's a deliberate action, a deliberate decision to make a permanent change of attitude or a deliberate decision to make a permanent change of behavior. 
removing wrong attitudes and removing wrong actions from our lives does not happen accidentally. It happens only intentionally. In other words, if we're going to change some habits, and don't, don't look at me with innocent eyes like you don't have some habits that need to be changed, okay? If we need to change some habits, then we're going to have to be intentional about doing that. We have to take deliberate action. Does that make sense? If we have some attitudes that are, need to go, they will not just go. They'll be right there tomorrow when you wake up. If you want them to go, then you have to make a deliberate action to push them out of your life. You have to make a deliberate decision to let it go and push it out of your life. Faith has actions, ladies and gentlemen. It's not just beliefs. It has to do with what we do, what actions we will deliberately and intentionally take. Uh, As I said, I played sports. I'm sure you played sports. None of my athletic uniforms had pockets. You know why? Because they didn't want me carrying stuff. My football pants didn't have any pockets in them. And baseball pants had a back pocket, didn't they? That's a baseball player. That's not real sport anyway. So, but your your track, your your, I mean, watch these. I like watching these collegiate track stars because they are just like beasts, man. They just fly around the track. The, the, the little shorts, no pockets, tight, aerodynamic, not, not made for carrying stuff. You, you know, a survival vest or a backpack on that track star. You say, why? Because they want to run with speed and efficiency. They want to w- win the race and anything that slows them down. You ever watch these Olympic swimmers? They shave all the hair off their chest. They put that plastic cap over their hair. They shave their arms and their legs. You say, why? Anything that pulls drag in the water, it's gone. Getting rid of all of it. Getting rid of all of it. I'm going to be sleek and aerodynamic as possible because I want to do my very best to win the race. This is the language God is using on you. Why is it that we are not taking our Christianity, our living by faith, as seriously as the world's taking running a football or dribbling a basketball or running around a track? There's some things we need to do intentionally. Listen, those athletes lay aside the weight. It don't just mean dumbbells and backpacks. It means the weight. An athlete is constantly looking at their body and saying, I need to shed water. I need to shed excess pounds. I need to shed a little more fat. I need to reduce my body mass index or whatever. I need to, I need to constantly be on top of my game. I need to constantly be, be disciplined because all of those things can hinder me from being effective in the race that I'm called to run. And this morning, the Holy Spirit is asking us to look at our lives and take the actions that faith demands we take. And once you take the actions of faith, as you're running the race of faith, you're going to find that you have renewed energy. Do you sometimes feel sluggish as a Christian? Listen, lay aside the weights and, and focus on the actions you need to be taking that reinforce the beliefs you say you believe. 
Do those actions and you'll notice that your legs are fresh and you're running with a lightness of being and a renewed sense of energy and a renewed sense of purpose and you just feel like you can go longer and you can go further. And let's position ourselves to end this year with a strong finish and a renewed zeal to do the things, to run the race that God has called us to run. But we're not going to run it and we're not going to win because we can't please God unless we run in faith. Unless we're living in faith. Faith has actions. By faith they did fill in the blank. Listen, if God was writing your life story this morning and he just wanted to pick out one or two things about you, what would God say? By faith, Barbara. By faith, Steve. You know what I'm saying? And Chris was a man of faith. And by faith, he signed up for discipleship, opened his life up to be transparent, and got accountable and got real with a small group of men. And by faith, he began to memorize the Scriptures and let them call certain actions to happen in his life. And by faith, he loved his wife and had a strong marriage. And by faith, he intentionally took steps to be a good father. And by faith, he learned how to pray. And by faith, he learned how to hear from God when he opened his Bible every day and read the Scripture. And by faith, he learned how to tell his story. And by faith, he learned how to lead somebody else to faith in Christ. And by faith, you understand, if God were to write your story... Are there any actions? Are there any actions to your faith that would validate what you profess? By faith they list gets a little short and ner- a little nervousness now. By faith, what are we doing? Because without faith, it's impossible to please Him. For those who come to God must believe that He is and that He is a rewarder of them that diligently seek Him. When the Bible says that salvation is by faith, for example, Ephesians 2 says, For by grace you've been saved through faith, and that not of yourselves, it is the gift of God. When the Bible says salvation is through faith, it means you believe, but now you have to take an action. You see, if salvation is a gift that God is freely giving to you and by faith you're going to get saved and you believe that salvation is a gift, what do you have to do? You've got to receive it. You've got to call upon Jesus Christ and ask him to come into your heart and save you. You've got to confess that you're a sinner and ask him to forgive you and come in. In other words, a gift is a gift, but you've got to take it. There's an action involved in every part of faith. Let me ask you, Christian, have you been baptized? By faith. Silliest thing I've ever heard. God wants us to get into a baptistry and get wet and go under the water to symbolize death. That's just, okay, maybe silly to you if you think it's silly or it maybe seems strange that he wants us to do that, but he asked us to do it. So by faith, are you willing to do it? Yeah, sure, no problem. So he said, by faith, I want you to make a commitment to the church. It's Hebrews chapter 10. I'll send you out a devotion this week on it. 
Hebrews chapter 10, forsake not the assembling of yourself together. Have you made a commitment to his church? By faith, I joined the church. Listen, in an era when people think the church is irrelevant, you ought to make a commitment to it. So it's an action of faith, that's why. Have you joined a discipleship group? By faith, I'm going to get in the process so that I can reach a place of maturity. Our heads are bowed and our eyes are closed this morning. Let me, let me ask you to make a decision. Maybe God's speaking to your heart in a very specific way about whether you're living in faith or out of faith. Faith always has actions associated with it. It's not just beliefs. It's believing and therefore I act. What action of faith is your next action? What is God calling you to live out now? Have you ever received him as your savior? If not, why don't you pray with me right now and receive Christ as your savior? Sure, he died for you. Sure, salvation's a free gift, but you have to act to receive it. Exercise your faith right now. Pray like this. Dear, dear God, I confess to you that I'm a sinner. And I confess that I need a Savior. And I believe, Jesus, you're the Son of God. I believe you are the one who died on the cross and rose again. You are the Savior that I need. You're the only one who has the power to save me today. So I ask you to forgive me of my sins. And this morning, I accept your forgiveness in my life. And this morning, I accept you, Jesus, as my Lord and my Savior. Come into my heart and my life and save me for all of eternity. Give me a place in your family and in your kingdom and give me a purpose for living now. Lord, I call to you in faith today. Thank you for saving me. In Jesus' name, amen. I'm going to ask you to stand to your feet in this moment.